So today we're continuing our series, The Upside Down Kingdom, which is a study on the Gospel of Luke. And it's called The Upside Down Kingdom because whenever Jesus comes into the scene, everything changes. He flips everything upside down. The way that the world has been doing things looks very different than the way that King Jesus does things. And what we're talking about today is no different. If you were to pull the average person in the United States and you were to ask them in one word, what would you say it is that makes the United States a good country? I'm sure you'd get a lot of different responses to that question. But I would wager the number one answer you'd hear from people is probably freedom. I think freedom is something across political aisles people really value in this country. And we might describe freedom a little bit differently, but it's something that people really cherish. But what is freedom really? Think about how you might define that. I would wager that most people would say that freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. And I think this is largely the ethic of our culture. It's encouraged by media, it's encouraged by our peers or friends, that life is short, so do what you wanna do. And sometimes there's a little caveat, so as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. That's kind of the ethic of our day. And I think our default state as humans is to do exactly that, to do whatever we want. James K.A. Smith, he's a Christian author, he argues that humans are fundamentally driven by their desires or their wants more than anything else. We are mostly driven by this chemical in our brain called dopamine, which is the thing that gives us pleasure. And what we're doing as people, how we make our decisions is largely seeking the thing that's ultimately gonna give us the biggest hit of dopamine. And I wanna be very clear that pleasure in and of itself is not bad, it's a good thing that God has given us. But it's very easy for us to let it rule our lives. And we're encouraged to let it by our culture. Marketers, app developers, media producers, they're seeking increasing ways to supercharge the dopamine in your brain, to get you involved with their product and give you this underlying message that you're not going to have a happy life, a, life, a happy or uh, fulfilled, exciting time in life unless you have this product, unless you have this one thing. And, but we all know though, once you get that thing that you've been looking forward to forever, you're looking for that next thing to give you that same level of happiness. And it's just this never ending cycle of trying to find the things that give you the most pleasure in life, but those things not fulfilling and you just keep trying to find bigger and better things. But we don't hear the flip side of that from our culture. We hear, you owe it to yourself to satisfy every longing that you have. And not doing so is archaic. Not doing so is repressive. Life is short, do what you wanna do, take the path of least resistance, maximize the pleasure in your life. And this manifests itself in a lot of ways for us, but I'm gonna hone in on one thing that I think a lot of people probably in this room, myself included, have a hard time with. That's our smartphones. I'm gonna bet that most people in this country, at least, have some level of addiction to that thing. That's what we do. Whenever, whenever we're in a social situation and things get a little awkward or we're bored, well, our first impulse oftentimes, oh, wrong pocket, is to pull this out and to start scrolling on it because we need that, that fix of dopamine. We're wired to pull this thing out now. And even app developers, they're going to big extremes, creating new things to try to keep you involved and engaged in the stuff that you're doing on this. 
For example, the invention of the notification. You have this in your pocket, you feel a buzz in your pocket, you get a hit of dopamine, you pick it back up and you're back on that app after you just put it down, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying this to say I'm holier than thou, by any means. You can go talk to Abby and she will verify that. Because there are times that I will open YouTube and get sucked down this rabbit hole of two hours finding all sorts of random stuff that's not important about anything. And then I look back, I'm like, what did I just do, right? There is a photographer who is pretty annoyed with how much smartphones have been dominating our lives and uh, this person took some photos and photoshopped out the smartphones in them. So uh, I'll put this one up here. I don't know if you can see it super well, but the two parents have their, what their phones would be, but it's just their hands. And he has a whole collage of these pictures. But does that look like freedom? According to our culture, this is freedom. This is people doing whatever they want to do. But is doing whatever we want to do, is that true freedom? Let's see what the upside down kingdom says about this. Turn with me to Luke 4, if you would. This passage of scripture, it comes directly after Jesus' baptism. And it's right before he starts his ministry. And what we have in Luke 4 in the temptation story of Jesus, I mean, there's so much good for us to soak in with this story. Like, there are so many layers of amazing things. And Jesus shows us, though, a really good way to fight against temptation. He shows us the way out. So we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, in other words, walking in full step with the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And that kind of sounds like the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness wandering, right? There's, there's an intentional connection there. He ate nothing during those days, and maybe the most obvious verse in the whole Bible, at the end of them he was hungry. <laughs> wow, you don't say 40 days of not eating food might make someone a little hungry. But these verses are fascinating. Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness to fast and to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Sounds a little bit different than the ethic that we're hearing from our culture, doesn't it? And th this is really important to note. The Spirit did not lead Jesus into doing something easy or doing something comfortable or buying a new house or whatever, whatever it is. He led him to go through this. This level of temptation and seclusion and deprivation and dependency on God. And this isn't a new concept for God either, to lead somebody into this. He placed the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden at the beginning. He placed a temptation for us at the beginning. You look at Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? to tempt and go through these things. Like this is not a new thing for God. But while our culture says gratify the flesh, we see the spirit of God leading Jesus into this. Why? And more importantly, what do we do with this? We'll come back to that in a little bit, but before we dig a little bit deeper in this story, I think it's important for us to identify and talk about one of the key figures in this story, and that is the devil. This is one of the most involved scriptures 
that we have on the devil. This is one of the only times that we actually see an interaction between the devil and somebody else and, and having a conversation. And there's a lot of different perspectives on the devil. I've had a couple of them throughout my life. Some believe that he's a red and black figure with horns and a pitchfork and a cape. Some believe that he's just the manifestation of evil but isn't really real. And I don't have a lot of time to dig into what or who the devil is, but I will say this. I believe he's real. I believe he's active. I believe that he is seeking to destroy God's good world. And I believe that he uses as many kinds of tactics and different methods to get as many people to fall and make mistakes against God as possible. But most importantly, I believe he is way weaker than God. And even more importantly than that, I believe he has lost because of what Jesus has done. So today we're not going to be focusing a ton on who Satan is, but we're focusing on how Satan works. If we read in verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So he first begins by saying, If, if you are the Son of God which is like one of the oldest tactics in the book. Like this reminds me of the playground days. Someone comes up to you and it's like, well, if you're so fast, then you should be able to catch me. And then what happens? You get really angry, like how dare you assault my speed? And then you chase after that person, right? It's the oldest trick in the book. He's trying to challenge Jesus' pride. And on the surface, the only temptation here is for Jesus to break his fast and something I'm sure he wants to do because he is hungry. But there's more to this. If Jesus satisfied his hunger by doing something miraculous, he would be bringing into question whether God's actually going to provide for him. He would be bringing into question, is self-denial really the best way right now? I can just flip a switch and I can get bread right now. And in doing this, he would be going against the Spirit's prompting. He'd be going against the will of God. But let's see how Jesus responds in verse 4. It says, Jesus answered, it is written... Man shall not live on bread alone. So right here, Jesus quotes scripture. He quotes directly Deuteronomy 8, where there's a plea for Israel to remember what God had done for them in the wilderness. As manna came from heaven. He's saying, don't, don't forget that. But here's the important thing. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Even more foundationally than the food that we're putting into our bodies, we need to be letting the words of God nourish our souls. And this leads us to how Jesus was able to say no to temptation, that he was fasting from his flesh and he feasted on God. And in Jesus saying this, he's saying, I choose God's will even over the most basic necessity of my life. That is more important to me than food. And this is one of the beauties of fasting. It really does build up your dependency and your ability to stick with God. Fasting is one of those areas in Christianity that people in the outside world, and honestly maybe some of us, look at and we're just like, what? Why would anybody fast? Like why would anybody say no to food? Right? That, that seems fundamental. Well, there's actually been a long-standing tradition in Christianity for fasting to be a way to overcome temptation. To be able to say no, it builds up your no muscle. It builds up your ability to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And if we fast with the right reason and with the right motive, and that we are trying to rely upon God and submit to God, it really is amazing how fasting can be really helpful in our battle against our sin and temptation. Particularly of the 
the flesh. If you have an addiction of the body, whether that be a substance or whether that be a sexual sin or something like that, fasting is actually one of the best things you can do to help fight against that. It's helping you build that no muscle and saying no to the desires of the flesh. And this comes straight from Jesus. So my prayer for us is as we get closer to um, Ash Wednesday, think about something that you might think is good to give up for the sake of being with God. All of us have something that's in our lives taking up more time than it probably should. I really would ask you to prayerfully consider what that might be for you this year and consider giving that up for a season. So we see Jesus overcome this first temptation. And then in verse 5, it says, The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. You know that saying that that person sold their soul to the devil? This is kind of what Satan is tempting Jesus with here right now. Satan gives Jesus a vision, which, as a quick aside, this is an important thing to know. Not every vision or dream that you get is from God. (laughs) Some things can be coming from Satan. He has that ability, right? So we need to be able to test it and know what's true about God with, with Scripture. But in this vision, he tempts Jesus with power. Which, first of all, another thing we need to note, Satan has power over the kingdoms of this world. To what degree, to what level, I don't know if anybody knows. I mean, we do know all authority ultimately is with Jesus and God, right? But it's important to note that some of the evil in this world, at least to some degree, is because Satan has a hold of it. And he tells Jesus, this power can be yours if only you bow and worship me. And we may not hear Satan directly say those words to us, but we are tempted with this all the time. We are tempted, we're tempted with the desire to want power all the time. And it can look a lot of different ways. Anytime that we choose to sin to better ourselves, we're doing this. We're falling for this temptation. If I just look off my friend's answers next to me, I'm going to get a better grade. That's going to be helpful. If I don't claim this for taxes, then I can make a lot more money. If I get a better position... I can do that if I leverage this relationship a little bit. And with the temptations of Satan, he bakes into it a lie that your life's actually going to be better if you do this. But he never tells you the consequences of choosing his way. It's always coming with fine print. But how does Jesus beat this temptation for more power? In verse 8 it says, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He holds the posture of a servant in submission to the Father. He's not going to fall for any of the idols that come before him. And really, this is how Jesus overcame all of his temptations here. He humbly served and submitted to God. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And in his life, Jesus lived that. It wasn't just lip service for him. He didn't take a shortcut to being the authority over all kingdoms, It was through his life and death and resurrection that God the Father gave this over to him. Whenever we have the ability to defeat the temptation of power in our life by following a similar method, by humbly serving and seeking God, nothing kills our pride faster than willingly putting yourself underneath somebody else with the intention to help empower and lift that person up. 
And we're able to do this if we have the right understanding that God's the one that holds all the power. I don't hold any. Any gift that I have, any power I have is a gift from God. And Jesus is quick to acknowledge that he is underneath the Father and he is in submission to the Father. And we can say no to the temptation of power if we keep that mindset. And then we read of this last temptation. In verse 9, it says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, there's that jab at his pride again. Throw yourself down from here. And you might be wondering, that doesn't sound super tempting. And it probably wouldn't be for you, but the devil knew it would be for Jesus. Because the devil's temptation for Jesus right here is to test whether he really is God's anointed. Because he could take a shortcut to being glorified as the Messiah. If he jumped down, an angel saved him in a public display of power, he wouldn't have to go through the cross. He wouldn't have to be led to Jerusalem a different way that was much more painful and challenging. He could have taken that shortcut and boom, everybody would see he's the Messiah. Satan Satan is basically triple dog daring Jesus to prove himself right here. And then we get, this is probably the most haunting part of this whole passage in verse 10. This is Satan saying this. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan quotes scripture. He quotes, this is straight from Psalms. And he's using it to try to get Jesus to stumble. Which I think, church, this should be a huge warning for us. We need to be careful in believing that something is good or true just because someone can book, chapter, and verse it. There's a lot of people in this world who are claiming to have a biblical perspective on a topic And honestly, I might say that from time to time. I try not to, to say that I have a biblical or the biblical perspective more specifically, unless I'm like almost 100% sure the Bible is unanimously clear on that topic. I try to stay away from this. And just to be clear, I believe that all scripture is authoritative and inspired, but the reason I sort of wince whenever I hear people say this is the biblical perspective on something is because it gives it a ton of authority. Just by saying Biblical, just saying that word, gives it that much more authority to people who don't know the difference. And this is why I'd encourage you, anytime you hear someone say that, that this is the biblical perspective on something, I want you to just like pretend that they just would reverse, reverse, and then go into your mind and say, okay, that person is saying this is their perspective on what is biblical, right? Because we are reminded right here that Satan knows scripture, And what he said is technically a biblical perspective that he's giving to Jesus. But that doesn't mean that what is said is necessarily from the heart of God. But Satan is using this to twist and confuse us. And we do this all the time. He does it. He puts it in our mind all the time. We use scripture to justify doing things that are very much so not in the heart of God. We want to do whatever we want to do, right? Freedom is that ultimate underlying thing we want. So people have used a biblical perspective to justify slavery. People have used a biblical perspective to justify sleeping around with whoever they want, whenever they want. People have used a biblical perspective to harm and kill one another. 
Just because something is biblical doesn't mean it's necessarily from the heart of God. And this is why, as we see with Jesus, we need to really know the words of God truly, and more importantly, the God behind the words, or else we can fall for this same temptation. But we see Jesus' response in verse 12. He says, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus, this temptation, he doesn't want to take a shortcut to Jerusalem. He knows the path before him is going to be much harder. But he wanted to go through with the Father's plan. But really, the third and major way that Jesus beats temptation is by letting the true words of God wash over him. And he comes to this conclusion, as with all of his defenses against what Satan is doing, by really knowing the words of God, and more importantly, the God behind them. And he's letting those words just wash over him, letting the truth of God wash over him, even as Satan tries to distort something that is in the word of God to get him to fall. He really knows the word of God. I mean, he is the word of God, so that's a big help. But he lets it all wash over him. He lets the truth of God cleanse him from all the schemes of the enemy, which makes us realize that we need to know scripture really well. And more importantly, we need to know the God behind it. We need to know what is truly of God and what is not of God because people are going to use the Bible as a weapon against us. So may we know our God and his words really well so that we can withstand the attacks from the enemy. And then we have another really haunting verse to end this section in verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's a little freaky, isn't it? First Peter 5, it describes Satan as a prowling lion, ready to devour. It is in our times of greatest weakness that Satan tries to strike. It's whenever we're in our deepest anger, it's when we're in our deepest shame, or insecurity, or fear, that Satan is really wanting to get to us, because that's the easiest time for us to say yes to his schemes. But all of this, this leads us back to that original question. Why? Why did the Spirit of God lead Jesus into the wilderness for this? Why did he subject him to be tempted by Satan? After this story, Jesus begins his ministry. And do you think Satan was done tempting him from that point on? I'm going to guess no. I imagine, as verse 13 said, he kept looking for opportune times to get at Jesus. Tell me this. Do you think a person would have a stronger character and a deeper reliance on God to do the hard work of ministry and repeatedly and after, sorry, after repeatedly and perfectly saying no to Satan for 40 straight days? Do you think someone would be more equipped for ministry after that period? I would say yes. I would say it greatly strengthened him. It's because of this experience that whenever he would come to experience a situation like Gethsemane, when his flesh is screaming, God, if there is any other way, please, any other way, let this pass from me. It is because he has been refined by fire in that temptation that he was able to still say, even though everything in him was saying, no, God, your will be done. 
Church, ask yourself this. And may this give you some encouragement in your own battle with temptation. Which person has a stronger character? One who has never experienced temptation or one that has overcome it? It is through our victory over temptation that we become refined by fire. And we truly can live a flourishing life for King Jesus. Through overcoming temptation, we are truly set free. And you see, the world, they think that freedom is being able to do whatever you want, but true freedom is actually having the ability to do what is good. Because whenever Jesus overcame his temptation of the flesh, he demonstrated freedom and that he was in complete control over his desires. He was not ruled by them. Because whenever we only do the things that we want, we are demonstrating that we are powerless. As Romans 5 said, we are powerless against our sin. We can't help but sin. But in Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, we can actually conquer our temptations. As 1 Corinthians 10 says, God will not let us be tempted by more than we can bear because he's giving us a path out. And I used to think that that was always like some miraculous way that God's going to create a path for you in every situation you're tempted. No. He has given us the path out in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. In any circumstance that we have, we can always lean on the Spirit's power. And he's given, us, given that to us as a way to get out. And as Galatians 5 says, it is for freedom itself that Christ has set us free. He has set us free so we don't have to be captive to all of our fleshly desires anymore. We don't have to only do what we want. We finally will be able to choose what is good. If sin was our prison cell, Jesus flung that door wide open for us to leave. It's available. But sometimes, church, I think we like to just sit in the cell. Sometimes I think that we're more comfortable or maybe calloused to our own sin and our own temptation to want to actually walk into freedom, to walk into flourishing life. Sometimes I think we don't want to do the hard work of waging war against the desires of our flesh. And I think because of this, this can easily make us an admirer of Jesus. We can sit in our cell, wow, Jesus, that's so great. Thank you so much for being who you are. Isn't he awesome? He opened that door for everybody to walk out. That's so great. Oh, man, I just, I love that Jesus is that way. I can, I can admire him. Did you see whenever he read this? That's so great. And I'm not, I'm not saying this as a preaching down on anybody. I am saying this looking in the mirror myself. That we can be way quicker to be an admirer of Jesus than a follower of Jesus. Because as a follower of Jesus, right, we should be sprinting out of that door. We should be sprinting out and screaming from the rooftops to a world that is held captive by Satan right now. That they are free. I am free. We have that ability in Jesus, but we like to sit in our cell. What if today... We stopped constantly going to social media because of fear of missing out of what our friends are doing. And we replaced that with turning to scripture 
and serving other people and sharing the good news of Jesus because we're afraid of missing out on what God has for us, right? What if instead of giving into our temptations and becoming apathetic and callous to all of them, we look them dead on and say, you may win a couple battles against me, but you're not going to win the war. Church, this can be us. Jesus has set us free. But maybe today you don't feel free. You don't feel free from your temptation. And I think all of us have felt that throughout our lives. Maybe you feel like you're captive to your sin right now and you want to be able to scream from the rooftops about what Jesus has done for you, but you feel like you can't. And I want you to know there's a lot of people in here who have felt like that or may currently feel like that. You're not going through this by yourself. But the first thing I'll say to you, know that there is grace. All of us have given in to temptation. All of us will still give in to temptation. All of us need prayers for stuff going on in our lives. But maybe you feel like you are captive to your sin. But know this, there is a high priest named Jesus who has been tempted in every way that we have. Every single way. Without sin. And he is able to empathize with us completely. And the good news is that he is for you. He is so for you, he is on your side. And he wants to see you walk into freedom. That's, that's the good news about this. Secondly, please seek help for what you're going through. Satan wants you to be alone. Satan wants you to think that you're by yourself. Satan wants you to think that you're the only person going through whatever you're going through. You are not. So please hear my plea. There are people in this room that would love to pray with you and walk with you into freedom. That can be creating an accountability group. There's a lot of great recovery groups that are happening here. There's a lot of different ways. You can uh, find a good therapist, find a spiritual director, anything. Do not suffer through what you're going through alone. It's a cancer for your soul. And lastly, <laughs> there's coming a day when temptation will be an afterthought. There's coming a day in the new heavens and new earth that we will never be tempted to do anything contrary to the will of God again. What's really interesting, you see in Revelation, the, the tree of life is mentioned there. But you know what tree isn't? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because we're not even going to have a desire. We're not even going to have a temptation to do something that's going to be harmful for ourselves and the rest of the world. Because we will be perfectly refined into the image and likeness of Jesus. And everything will be made right. But until we get there, church, let us look to Jesus and let us wage war on our temptation because once we've overcome our temptations, the gates of hell better be terrified. Just imagine, church, what a group of people faithfully walking in freedom of Jesus could do for the city of Franklin and for the world. And I want to offer an invitation today for any of you. If you are going through something, please do not go through this by yourself. I want to invite our prayer team and shepherds to go along the outside parts of this wall. These are individuals who would love to pray for you about whatever's going on in your life. And here's the thing, guys. All of us have stuff going on in our lives. 
Anybody who might ever walk back here to get prayers for anything, all of us need prayers for something. All of us are struggling with sin and temptation. So I want to encourage you, if you're going through something, please come and talk to one of these people. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that today you can walk into freedom if you want. That gate is open. And another thing that a lot of times Christians we don't like to talk about today is confession. Confession is such an important part of the Christian life, and we don't talk about it enough. If you want to find freedom in your sins, confess your sins to one another. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, after we pray, go ahead and go to one of these individuals around the room if you have something going on in your life, uh, and then we'll keep singing. Lord, we are so <laughs> astounded by what you have done for us. That you have a heart that is for us and with us. And the fact that you have come down here to experience everything that we have and the ways that we have to empathize with us and to be our high priest is just beyond me even understanding. It's clear that you love us so deeply. And I pray that today, I know there's stuff stirring in people's hearts. I know all of us have stuff going on in our lives, and Lord, help us remember that holiness matters. That following in your path, even though it's hard, that matters. And we can be such an effective, effective follower of you if we are able to wage war against our temptations instead of giving in to them. Help us make that step. Help us be courageous in that. Lord, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus, the true freedom, to be able to live a good, flourishing life. And we give you thanks for that today. We pray all this in your holy son's name.